The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. We begin with the Mets, still potentially in need of a starting pitcher with Kodai Senga being out. Will, you wrote today about the Mets and Michael Lorenzen. What is the latest there? So I'm sorry for Mets fans who are hungry, really hungry for an addition, any addition for this club. But this is just due diligence for the Mets right now. That's all it is, due diligence. Unfortunately for you Mets fans who really want something more out of that. That's all I, all I can report on that front. David Stearns last week, or a few days ago, I should say, when Kodai Senga went down with the, the shoulder injury, said that they weren't really going to make any additions. He didn't think so, at least, for pitching. I tend to believe him. However, I did hear that if they had another injury, then maybe they would tap into somebody like a Michael Lorenzen. I mean, I'd hope so. If they had another injury, you need somebody to throw some pitches here from the starting rotation. I'll tell you this. Honestly, I see your report. I hear Michael Lorenzo, and I'm like, man, wake me up when it's Jordan Montgomery. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, March the 3rd, 2024. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on X at Talking Mets No G and on your favorite podcasting service, Apple, Spotify, whatever you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Don't forget the newsletter. Substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network for supporting this show. Week one of the Grapefruit League is in the books, and we're here to talk about it. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. So, what do we got in store for you tonight? Well, Andy Martino talked about the early returns at Mets Camp, his impressions of Carlos Mendoza. And the new leadership team, I'll give you my thoughts about that. Tyler McGill is stepping up. Starting pitching right now is something in limbo. Why are the Mets not signing another starter? It looks like the market's coming down to that opportunistic level. We'll talk about that. Energizer bunnies. I have a feeling we're going to have some change when it comes to the energy level here on the club. I don't think it's going to happen opening day, but... Some of the kids look like the kind of players that could give you a little energy jolt midseason. We'll talk about that. The early returns on the Darren Reed Award. G-Man Choi, does he really have a shot to make the team? And are the Mets finally developing some relievers? Forget about starters. We're still in the limbo there. Are we finally seeing the first reliever to be developed by this organization? Elite reliever to be developed by this organization in quite some time. Well... Welcome to the program. So let's kick it off here with the uh, first week of the Grapefruit Roundup throughout the month of March. 
we look at the week that was, we look at the week that was in the Grapefruit League, and start to look at how this team, the 2024 Mets, is developing. And where I'm going to kick it off is Andy Martino, one of the most clued in reporters on the club, uh, has been uh, one of the individuals that, as I always tell you guys, when you want to really see where the smoke is with where the organization is going, what they think, the odds of a particular move or the philosophy of where they're going to go with building the roster, hiring a manager, what have you. Andy's always been that guy that I've said, listen to what he says. Now, as there's been some turnover with obviously the Mets front office, I think that maybe some of those holes have been plugged up, but he's uh, very good at observing the surroundings and, and giving you a vibe about the club. So this past week, Andy did a report over at SNY, the old Mets blog. Uh, it's now SNY TV Mets, so it's not really Mets blog anymore. But I think the main theme that we heard Andy talk about as we kick off the show is communication. And it's not just Carlos Mendoza and how he's communicating and going around and getting to know quite literally his organization for the first time, but also how on the executive level, uh, Eduardo Brizuela, who is uh, one of David Stern's, uh, you know, special assistants in his cabinet, you know, going around to different members of the organization, those who are holdovers as well as newcomers, really trying to communicate what this team is trying to do, get to know people, get to understand their point of view. And then ultimately, and we've talked about this on the show, you know, Steve Cohen backing out and really allowing his organization, whether it be Stearns on the player side, the player development side, roster building side, the baseball side, or on the business side, his uh, new president of business operations, Scott Havens, Cohen is now starting to back out a little bit and ultimately do what he wants to do, which is spend a lot of money, have a really competitive product on the field, go to the ballpark and enjoy his team. I don't think Cohen, you know, obviously when it comes to these big money transactions, you know, bringing in guys like, you know, potentially uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Cohen's going to have to do some of the recruiting and be involved. But I think outside of that, I don't think Cohen day to day wants to be running a baseball team. That's not what he signed up for when he bought the Mets at this point. So uh, I think there's a lot of positives from that. I know Martino pointed out how, you know, there's a different vibe in camp this year when you have the less intense manager, you know, Carlos Mendoza, maybe a different type of personality, new, fresh, a little bit more energetic, not quite as stoic or, you know, quiet, intense, like a Buck Showalter. He brought up how, you know, veterans like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander not being around is opening up to some youthful enthusiasm that you see from some of the potential newbies that will be part of the Mets in the coming months, the Drew Gilberts, the Luis Angel uh, Acunas, the Jet Williams, you know, some of the young pitchers, things like that. I'm not so sure I would look at that as a positive just yet. I think having uh, Scherzer bring that level of intensity and excellence and preparation was big for the Mets in 2022. Martino himself had talked about it being a culture change. And I think one of the things that you're seeing from his early report is that you have a team that clearly has lowered expectations. I mean, nobody thinks they're going to be any good. So, I mean, yeah, Fangraphs has them for 83, 84 wins. But when you talk about the prognosticators and the pundits, none of them believe in the Fangraphs algorithm. 
So everybody doesn't think they're really that good. That lowers expectations. That makes it less likely that you're going to have the yoke that we talk about all the time attached to their backs at least rear itself early here in the Mendoza-Stearns era. Uh, But uh, I think part and parcel to what Martino sees with this organization is the newness of a team getting to know each other. And I think there was a quote about how Mendoza has the stuff, let's use the G-rated word, to be great. And whether it be Stearns coming in and the front office or Mendoza, we've talked about this, it'll be really interesting how they handle what we've talked about on this program for a long time, which is that yoke, that yoke that's been around this team's neck since they won the World Series in 1986. And it's got bigger, it's gotten bigger, it's gotten heavier, it's gotten more intense year after year, loss after loss, ownership changes, promises of a better future with Cohen have actually enhanced it. So how this front office, this manager, and one of the reasons why Stearns picked Mendoza was because of their ability to coexist and have a good working relationship. Together, they're going to be thrown this yoke. They're going to be thrown this tough atmosphere. This is a modern-day Cubs. This is a modern-day Red Sox. Everything negative about those quote-unquote curses is now here in Queens. That's not something that you could debate. You all know that to be true. You want to like argue and get mad. I know some people don't think that that's a fair uh, you know, moniker to put on the Mets or label to put on the Mets. It is. When Stearns came in, he took on an organization that is desperate for winning, a fan base that is hungry, insatiable for winning, but has a toxic component to it, a, a small yet vocal uh, social media toxic component, and a media, national and local, that enjoys a Mets losing narrative. And really, anytime that there is a presumed pathway to a better future, and I said this in, in prior weeks, most of the pundits, most of the media, even to the fans, want to beat the you-know-what out of these guys so they almost prove themselves. It's this, and we talked about this with Mets for Clicks last week, it's almost insanity. It's to you know beat those that you love down till they have nothing left to, to give to almost have this baptism by fire to prove themselves. So what is interesting is this positive vibe. I mean, it's almost the innocent climb we talk about. That early, when a team's coming together, they've had no success before. Because even though you have had you have veterans on this team that have had success and have been, uh, maybe not to the mountaintop, but have either gone into the playoffs a little bit or you know had some success in the playoffs, like a Lindor, uh, you know, Severino's on this club. You know, Pete McNeil have had some success here uh, as members of the Mets. You know, Starling Marte a little bit in Pittsburgh and, and elsewhere. But for the most part, you have a, a team that has not experienced winning as a group. And it's so easy right now, a week into the spring, where obviously hope springs eternal, to be positive, to be laughing in the cafeteria like a Mendoza is, to be communicating, uh, to be everything that, that first initial press conference when you come to introduce yourself to New York, all the good that you talk about, it's really easy right now to put that all on display. Uh, But I do think if communication has been the first week of the Grapefruit League, a theme from both the front office and from Mendoza, they're doing exactly what you can ask. They're they're going out there and, and 
They're getting to learn their club. They're trying to understand what makes these guys tick. Hopefully putting them in positions to win, having them understand you know, their role, uh, not just their role within the team and the 26-man roster, but hey, you know, you've been brought to camp here. What are really your odds of making the team and, and, and what do you need to do that? And by the way, you have an opt-out. Maybe we need to let you know where this thing is going sooner rather than later so you could go out there and get a job. You know, this is how you manage ball players. This is how you, uh, you know, build a culture of accountability and trust within an organization. I always said that when the Pete Alonso had that bang up spring back in uh, 2019 and was able to make the club because he hit the ball so well, when all common sense said, set him down for two weeks, gain the extra year of control, which is now hurting them now. I mean, Pete would have another year of control if he had just spent two, two and a half weeks in the minor leagues in April back in 2019. But he won the job. Brody Van Wagen was a new general manager in the face of a time where it was still uh, really still uh, in the craw of the Players Association of how the Cubs handled Chris Bryant and sending him down after a bang-up spring just a few years earlier. Uh, the Mets did the right thing by the organization, by the player, and by uh, uh, you know building a winning culture back then. And you know you hopefully you see some of that percolating here with Mendoza and Stearns' front office, his entire cabinet, things like that. So away we go there. Now, what's what's re- what's really peculiar when it comes to where the Mets are now, and the one thing that I think is a little bit on trial, and I, and I, I talked about this over Beyond the Mic, went into it a little bit on a piece that I wrote, Starter on a Platter, earlier this weekend. So obviously paid subscribers get access to that. I'm not going to go too deep into the piece, Sign up over at the newsletter, substack.com slash at Talking Mets No G, to get the details. But the long and short of where the Mets are at now is you have Senga and you have his health kind of this big question mark. You don't have enough guaranteed, as of today, alternative options that you know for certain are going to go out there and give you quality big league starts day in and day out every five days. Because you don't know what Buto is. You still don't know how Peterson's developed when he comes back from his injury. Tyler McGill has done an incredibly good job so far early in camp to seize the opportunity. But history has been, uh, at best, McGill has been a tease here. Joey Lucchese, you know, nice option. But can he get past, you know, the fifth uh, inning? On most uh, starts. And then you have the kids. You have the Vazels. You have the Christian Scotts. The Tyler Stewarts. The Dominic Hamels. They need more minor league seasoning. So their depth and their options. But they're for later in the season. So when you start to see the Boris clients cave. You saw Matt Chapman cave. You saw Cody Bellinger cave. I know they're offensive players. Signing similar type of deals in that four-year range. Three-year, four-year range with lucrative opt-outs so they can get themselves back out in the market. It's not exactly like they're you know working for the league minimum here. They're still getting a very solid salary. Maybe not the years or the AAV they want, but a, but what I would call for them a pillow contract. And if they don't have a good year, they could opt in and they could stick around until they do have a good year. And if you know they have a good year, they could just opt out and either re-sign with the club or move on to greener pastures and maybe get the contract that they thought they deserved in another market. So when I look and I hear, and you heard uh, Will Salmon on Baseball Night in New York speak on the way in, 
when I look at different articles, when I hear reports, and right now it just seems like the Mets don't have interest in Jordan Montgomery. And you have talk about Michael Lorenzen being their next play if, only if, there's another injury. It does really perplex me, and it makes me wonder a couple of things. One, maybe they're much more interested in in Montgomery than we could even think, and it's a complete negotiating ploy. I mean, Stearns has been seal-locked. I mean, there wasn't really a lot of rumors coming out of the Mets front office. Maybe a little bit as you got down to the nitty-gritty with the Yamamoto sweepstakes, stuff coming out about the dinner, maybe what the Mets are willing to offer, how they viewed themselves in the race. But for the most part, throughout the offseason, we speculated based on Stern's comments at the GM meetings about the kind of club that he was looking to build. We speculated on who they could go out and get. We really didn't know. So perhaps there's more to this Montgomery stuff that meets the eye. But if they uh, are not in it, it's quite perplexing because Montgomery is the perfect option here for this club right now. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you look at the rotation, even with Senga, and we talked about this, and this was one of the guys that I had targeted this offseason as, hey, this is a guy ready to take the next step. He's a similar age to Zach Wheeler when Zach Wheeler went out in the market after the 2019 season. I'm not suggesting he'll be a top five pitcher in baseball like Wheeler's been with the Phillies, but he's been top 15, according to Fangraphs, since 2022. He's taken the next step and jumped up since the Yankees traded him, ironically for Harrison Bader, a couple of years ago. He had postseason success. Yeah, he had some bumps in the postseason as well, but he had postseason success. The guy who's pitched here in New York, pitched for the Yankees, his fiance or his wife, I don't know if they're married, is, is going to be doing her uh, rotations in New England uh, for to become a doctor. So there's the East Coast connection. Gives them maybe a little bit of an advantage. I'm, I'm sure the Red Sox are involved. There's been reports that they have been. I would have to think the Yankees who are looking for pitching are still involved. He's a much better alternative. I think he's a better pitcher than the other big name on the market, uh, Blake Snell. I think Montgomery's better. I think Montgomery has the potential to be a better overall pitcher, not as uh, inconsistent. Maybe not the upside of a Snell and what he could be when he's really good, a Cy Young winner, which he's done twice, but I think a really solid, and I think it was John Heyman who gave this label, solid high-end number three, low-end number two. I don't see why Montgomery can't develop into a really solid number two starter for a club that signs him. And I know Texas has shown still a willingness to perhaps bring him back. There's some uncertainty there on finances with the RSN and, and the uncertainty with the with the Bally situation. It just seems like it's right there. When you talk about opportunistic, which David Stearns has talked about, and you go back to the history of Steve Cohen, just think about how he pounced when Correa's physical came up negative with the Giants and Boris got on the phone that day and said he's still interested he jumped and maybe with him backing out like I said earlier in this segment that he's like hey I'm gonna let my guys do it I'm gonna let my 
president of baseball operations decide whether or not this is an opportunity to be opportunistic. I'm not going to make that call when Boris calls. You know, when Boris calls me, I'm going to kick him down to Stearns. I'm not going to reach out to Boris myself. So it'll be interesting there. Michael Lorenzen is a reliever. His best numbers have happened when he's been out of the bullpen. I know he had a decent first half in Detroit last year, largely below league average his entire career, significantly sometimes as a starter. Yeah, he had the no-hitter. I think it was his second start uh, in Philadelphia, which is a nice uh, notch on his belt, on his resume. But if you look at Michael Lorenzen's history, bullpen is where he's had his best success. And he's not a bad hitter. He can play the outfield, too. I don't know if people realize that. He was uh, He's kind of a two-way player. I don't think he's really a two-wayer anymore, but he, but he has been, where he could swing the stick a little bit. If you're bringing Michael Lorenzen or that's the next move, that's kind of Trevor Williams' role. I think you have that with Hauser. You may have that with Buto. I mean, Buto's gotten plenty of accolades. You heard Severino the other day talking about how he could command and control multiple pitches. That's music to my ears. And maybe David Stearns really thinks, hey, I know Jordan Montgomery uh, has produced the numbers he's produced over the last couple of years. I, I look at his postseason success. But I think Buto, McGill, maybe one of the kids I mentioned earlier— has the potential to be just as good. Now, what I don't understand is, even if that's the case, the uncertainty about how long it'll take before those guys are even in the Montgomery bandwidth in terms of execution, and knowing that you have potentially a bunch of free agent pitchers on your starting rotation this coming off season, Quintana's a free agent, Severino will be a free agent, Manaya may opt out if he has a good year, Adrian Hauser, that's four-fifths of your rotation. And even if Buto, McGill, Peterson, uh, you know, maybe you have Lucchese and what have you come back and pitch well, for the most part, we've talked about it. These are six-inning, three-run starters. And that's really, and it's funny when you criticize that, there was a number I saw earlier today, I don't remember who put it out there, that the average starting pitcher in baseball Last year, I think got about 16 outs. So they're only getting into the sixth inning and maybe getting an out in the sixth inning. They're not necessarily going deep into games. So what the Mets are producing with their staff is pretty much what the rest of baseball is producing. That's why top of the rotation types like what Yamamoto could be are going to start to get paid crazy money. And that's why Scherzer and Verlander and DeGrom got the money and why the Mets went with Scherzer and DeGrom a couple of years ago. Because these top of the rotation aces, especially if they have a Hall of Fame pedigree, are impossible to develop. They're very rare. Mets had the privilege and the blessing and the good fortune for almost a decade where they didn't have to worry as much about starting pitching because they developed it back when Sandy Alderson took over. Really, it started with Omar Minaya, but when Sandy Alderson first took over. So, uh, you know, with all that, knowing all that, the fact that they're not even making a move here just doesn't smell right. I have to think there's more to it. There's an algorithm that they see that they don't like. There's a health concern. There's got to be something that Stearns doesn't like if he indeed is unable to even engage with Montgomery on a pillow contract. I mean, at this point, if you're Montgomery and there's no draft pick compensation like a Chapman would have, like a Snell would have, where the Mets would be harming their development going forward, why wouldn't you take a 20 to 22 million AAV three or four year contract with multiple opt outs that protects you. 
And that would be the thing. I'd make it where the opt-outs are on him. So as a as a as a as a president of baseball operations, I'm only committing to about 22 to 25 million AAV for starting pitcher. Very reasonable and actually quite good for a player that could give you number two starter status, who might be on the elevator up. Top 15 pitcher last couple of years started to sneak into that bottom tier of the top 15, the bottom third of the top 15. But it, you know that that. That might be pointing north. Now, you could say, Mike, if that's the case, then why did the Yankees not pounce? Why didn't the Cardinals not try to get a reunion? They jumped on some league average guys. Where's Texas? It's a fair question. It has been the most peculiar offseason with the Boris clients. A lot of people feel maybe they've, and I thought especially with Bellinger, they put their market way into a stratosphere. Bellinger has not been consistent enough the last five years to warrant the kind of money he wants, even the Brandon Nimmo category. I mean, maybe if he wants a multi-year deal, maybe he gets like what he got from the Cubs, a shorter-term deal with opt-outs. That's kind of until he shows he's back. He's consistently back what he's going to get. Is Montgomery really in that same space because he's only had a really a good one-and-a-half-year run? It's an interesting concept. I will tell you, this is where the yoke, this is where the burden of expectations, this is where as a new president of baseball operations that's come in and taking a much more conservative approach to the Cohen pocketbook amidst a lot of criticism, it could be his first error if he passes on Montgomery and Montgomery goes, let's say, to the Yankees or worse yet, an NL East rival for a pillow contract with an opt-out after the first year with maybe in the 20 to 22 million AAV range and the Mets go in in the middle of April, their kids are struggling uh, in, in AAA uh, McGill's back to being inconsistent McGill. You're not getting a Severino or Manaya renaissance. That's going to look even worse if out there Montgomery's pitching like a top-of-the-rotation guy. But Stearns, and I've said this many times, he's got cojones because he has a vision. He knows the kind of players he wants. He knows the data that he trusts. He has people that he speaks to. And for whatever reason, they're not into Montgomery Unless it's a smokescreen in a negotiation, uh, you're going to have to just go with trusting this guy who came as the smartest guy in baseball, the best available architect for the next wave of Mets greatness. Just like we're getting to know this front office, just like we're getting to know this manager, just know this roster, just like we're doing all that, we got to sit back and get to know them and, and, and not judge right away. That's the thing. It's easy to judge. It's easy to be, easy to be angry. I think this is a mistake not pushing into the Montgomery scenario. I understand it's not my money and it's going to cost you 22 to 20, 20 to 22 million is really costing you 40 to 44 million because of the Cohen tax. But this is a guy that can be, maybe he's, you know, you could convince him with a shorter term contract to stick around for a couple of years. uh, If you make it lucrative and, and maybe even, try to re- renegotiate that after the first year. That could be part of the solution uh, going into the future. He's not an old guy. He's you know, nearing his age 30, was age 30 season. About that. So you're probably in, in store for three or four good years. Do you want to give him seven years like Aaron Nolan? No. Wouldn't want to give most pitchers that many. Wouldn't want to give DeGrom that uh, when he was out on the market. And he didn't get that when he was signed by Texas. So uh, that's where we're at. Uh, very interesting how this Montgomery market where it's going, if it heats up this week, are the Mets even involved? I suspect that now that Chapman was signed, Bellinger signed, 
Boris is really going to push for his pitchers to be signed. I think Snell is the one that's going to be fascinating where he ends up because even the Giants now have said that they're out. The fact that he has draft pick compensation attached to them really hurts his market. Look, I'm not a Blake Snell fan. I think he's a five-inning mess most of the times. But on a pillow contract without draft compensation for one year, sure, I'd take a chance if I were the uh, the Mets. But uh, that Montgomery just makes more sense because it doesn't have those other nefarious uh, attachments that are going to hurt them in the draft and international pool money and all the other penalties that are part of the collective bargain agreement, which really the Players Association should be mad at themselves because what I think is hurting these guys' markets, the Boris clients, at least for those that have the Chapman had the, the, the compensation attached, as well as Snell and, 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 uh, and what have you, uh, you know, the qualifying offer. You know, Bellinger as well, I believe, had the qualifying offer. I think that's been hurting their market as much as anything. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, some early observations that I have from the spring. And I think one of the things that's really exciting me is I think for the first time in a long time, the Mets have some energy and anticipation of the future that's not just hype. I think it's something that we could really get excited about it. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.